Shalom, Mishpocha. Welcome to this week's Kadima. I'll be sharing about Joshua, both his convictions and his failures. Never in our time, frame, and history has this been more critical than the hour we are in today. Joshua Yehoshua was Moshe's number two man, a major figure in the events that unfold in Exodus, mainly our departure from slavery in Egypt and eventual pilgrimage into the Promised Land. He was charged by Moshe with selecting and commanding a militia group for their first battle after exiting Egypt against the Amalekites at Rephidim in Exodus 17, in which Joshua led them to victory. Yehoshua always accompanied Moshe when he ascended Mount Sinai to communicate with God. He was there when God's plans for the Mishkan, the tabernacle, were received by Moses and the Ten Commandments were given. Yehoshua was with Moshe when he descended from the mountain, and Moshe heard the Israelites' celebration around the golden calf, whereby Moses broke the tablets bearing the words of the commandments. When Moses was summoned by Adonai to speak with him in the Mishkan of the O.L. Moed, the tabernacle outside the camp, Yehoshua was always at the entrance waiting for Moshe. Joshua, Yehoshua, was one of the 12 spies sent by Moses to explore and report on the land of Canaan in Numbers 13, and only he and Caleb, Caleb gave an encouraging report for which they were rewarded by Adonai that these would be the only two who would actually see and enter into the promised land from their entire generation. That promise was given in Numbers 14. According to Joshua 1, God appointed Joshua, Yehoshua, to succeed Moses as leader of Israel along with giving him a blessing of invincibility during his lifetime. In the first part of the book, Joshua covers a period when he led the conquest of Canaan and the settlement of the Promised Land. At the Jordan River, the waters parted as they had for Moses at the Red Sea. The first battle after the crossing of the Jordan was the Battle of Jericho. Joshua led the destruction of Jericho, then moved on to Ai, a small neighboring city to the west. However, they were defeated with 36 Israelite deaths. The defeat was attributed to Achan taking an accursed thing from Jericho and was followed by Achan and his family and animals being stoned to death to restore God's favor. Then Joshua defeated Ai. From there, Joshua led Israel to Alon Moray, Mount Gerizim, and Mount Ebal, where Israel sacrificed and made covenant with the land. This is one of our favorite places to visit. When you come with us and we go to Israel, almost no tours go to this area. But if you will, this was the highest point in all the land of Israel. And Israel entered the promised land from the east, came around up the valley to Alon Moray. It's three mountains, Alon Moray, Mount Gerizim, and Mount Ebal. And in this place, God commanded them to build an altar to sacrifice. And then in between the two mountains in the valley, put a whitewashed stone wall, write all the words of Torah on it. Then on one side of the mountain, one Mount Gerizim put six of the tribes, and the other side of the, that mountain, Mount Ebal, another six tribes, and all the word of God, Torah, was read before all the people of Israel. If you will, this is a national mezuzah for the land of Israel upon Israel's entrance into the land at the high point. It's a very profound covenant place. After this place, then Israel faced an alliance of five Amorite kings from Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. At Gibeon, Joshua asked Adonai to cause the sun and moon to stand still so that he could finish the battle in daylight. According to the text, the sun dropped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. This event's notable because there has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel in Joshua chapter 10. 
God also fought for Israel in this battle, for he hurled huge hailstones from the sky, which killed more Canaanites than those which the Israelites slaughtered. From then on, Joshua was able to lead Israel to numerous victories, taking most of the promised land. Joshua led Israel over their gatherings at Gilgal and Shiloh, which allocated land to the tribes of Israel in Joshua chapter 14 through 18. And Israel rewarded him with the Ephraimite city of timnath Heres or timnath Serah, where he settled in Joshua 19. When he was old and well advanced in years, Joshua convened the elders and chiefs of the Israelites and exhorted them to have no fellowship with the native population because it would lead them to be unfaithful to God. It would result in idolatry for the land of Israel. At a general assembly of the clans at Shechem, he took leave of the people, admonishing them to be loyal to their God, who had been so mightily manifest in the midst of them. His presence was so profound with them. And as a witness of their promise to serve God, Joshua set up a great stone under an oak by the sanctuary of God. And soon afterwards, he died at the age of 110, and he was buried at timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. And here are some of the last words spoken to Israel. So I'm going to read Joshua chapter 23 and 24. I'm not prone to read so much scripture here, but it's key to go on in this discussion of Joshua, because as I said earlier, when we first started this broadcast, I reference this all the time, and this is very critical in our hour today. In Joshua 23, a long time afterwards, when Adonai had given Israel rest from all their surrounding enemies, and Yehoshua was old, with age taking its toll, Joshua summoned all Israel, their leaders, heads, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am old, age is taking its toll. You have seen everything that Adonai your God has done to all these nations because of you, for it is Adonai your God who has fought on your behalf. If we just read when time stood still, huge firestones came out of heaven and killed more Canaanites than Israel did. So they've all experienced the power of God in their daily life. Not some far off story, but they're living a supernatural life. They've experienced the power of God. Verse four says here, I have allotted to you land for inheritance according to your tribes between the Jordan and the great sea to the West. It includes the land of the nations I've destroyed and the nations which remain. Adonai your God will thrust them out ahead of you and drive them out of your sight so that you will possess their land as Adonai your God told you. Verse six, therefore be very firm about keeping and doing everything written in the book of the Torah of Moshe and not turning aside from it either to the right or to the left. Then you will become, then you will not become like those nations remaining among you. Don't even mention the name of their gods, let alone have people swear by them, serve them, or worship them. So there's a caveat to the covenant. God says, I'm going to fight with you. I will be with you. I will drive the nations out ahead of you. However, you must not deviate from obedience and submission to God and his word. That holds true for us today as it did almost 4,000 years ago. God will fight for you. He will be with you. He will drive your enemies out before you if, if you do not falter to the right or to the left. You know, Yeshua said the same words. He said, narrow is the path and few, wide is the path of destruction, either side of the narrow gate. Many travel the wide path, but the narrow path through the narrow gate, few find it, few travel it. It's a difficult thing for people to take their own flesh and slay it and follow God wholeheartedly. We choose to do this. We can do this, but we have to be firm about it, as Joshua told the people of Israel. Then you won't become like the nations remaining among you, verse 7. Don't even mention the name of their gods, let alone have people swear by them and serve them or worship them. Verse 8, 
but cling to Adonai your God as you have done to this day. That same word is used between a husband and wife, cling. In the Hebrew, it's a sexual connotation. It's extreme intimacy. So this isn't holding the hem of the Lord's garment. But this is that Psalms 91 pulled into that secret place, that besetar, that that secret hidden place, that intimate place with Adonai that you cleave to him as you have done to this day. Verse 9, this is why Adonai has driven out great strong nations ahead of you, and it explains why no one has prevailed against you to this day. Why one man of you has chased a thousand, it is because Adonai your God has fought on your behalf as he said to you. Therefore, take great care to love Adonai your God. Otherwise, if you retreat and cling to the remnant of these other nations remaining among you, if you make marriages with them and have children with them and they with you, know for certain that Adonai your God will stop driving out these nations from your sight. Instead, they will become a snare and a trap for you, whipping your sides and pricking your eyes until you perish from this good land which Adonai has given you. Today I'm going the way of all the earth. Therefore, consider in all your heart and being that not one of all the good things Adonai your God said concerning you has failed to happen. So God's promises have all come to pass. They're supernatural. Everything he said he was going to do has come to pass. And God has made that covenant promise that if they continue to serve him, he will continue to live that way with them. God's word shall do what he has sent it to do. Verse 15, nevertheless, just as all the good things Adonai your God promised you have come upon you, likewise Adonai will bring upon you all the bad things too until he has destroyed you from this good land which Adonai your God has given you. When you violate the covenant of Adonai your God, which he ordered you to obey and go and serve other gods and worship them, then the anger of Adonai will blaze up against you and you will perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. So this is chapter 23 of Joshua. He knows he's going the way of the earth. And like Deuteronomy is the last three drashas or message of Moses to Israel before he perishes and they enter into the promised land. Now they're in the promised land. They've conquered a substantial portion of it. Now Joshua is going to heaven. He's going to pass from this earth. And he's now giving his some nation, telling them, be obedient and loyal to God, and he will do everything that he said he will do. He then goes on to verse uh, chapter 24, I'm sorry, of Joshua, uh, starting in verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. He summoned the leaders, heads, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And remember, they had the Mishkan for 40 years. They're traveling it around, and it went before them. But in Shechem, they actually set it on a stone foundation, and this was the first place of tabernacle temple worship in Israel. So he gathers them now around this permanent temple. This The Mishkan is now permanent in Shechem on a stone foundation. He brings them all there. Why? They presented themselves before God. Verse 2, Yehoshua said to all the people, this is what Adonai, the God of Israel, says, in antiquity, your ancestors lived on the other side of the Euphrates, River Terach, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. I took your ancestor, Abraham, from beyond the river, led him through the land of Canaan, increased his descendants, and gave him Isaac. I gave to Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. To Esau, I gave Mount Seir as his possession, but Yaakov, Jacob, and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses and Aaron. I inflicted plagues in Egypt in accordance with what I did among them, and afterwards I brought you out. Yes, I brought your fathers out of Egypt. You arrived at the sea, and the Egyptians were pursuing your ancestors with chariots and horsemen to the Sea of Suf. But when they cried out to Adonai, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, overwhelmed them with the sea, and drowned them. Your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, 
and then you lived in the desert for a long time. Verse 8, I brought you into the land of the Amorite, living beyond the Jordan. They fought against you, but I handed them over to you. You took possession of their land as I destroyed them ahead of you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, rose up and fought against Israel. He sent and summoned Bilam, the son of Boar, to put a curse on you. But I refused to listen to Bilam, and he actually blessed you. In this way, I rescued you from him. Next, you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorite, Prizi, Canaanite, Hittite, Girgashah, Hivai, Yavusi, and I handed them over to you. I set the hornet ahead of you, driving them out from ahead of you, the two kings of the Amori. It wasn't by your sword or your bow. Then I gave you a land where you had not worked and cities you had not built, and you lived there. You eat fruit from the vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. So the first 13 verses here is it's a historical remembrance of what God has done. Because remember, that generation, except for two of them, perished that were in Egypt and saw the 12 plagues and saw the supernatural battles being won. This is a new generation now that's conquering the land. So he's giving them the history. This is Lador Vador, generation to generation. This is what happened previously with your ancestors, and this is what I'm putting upon you now. Verse 13, 14, I'm sorry, verse 14, it says, Therefore, fear Adonai, serve him truly and sincerely. Put away the gods of your ancestors, serve beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve Adonai. If it seems bad to you to serve Adonai, then choose today whom you're going to serve. Will it be the gods of your ancestors who served beyond the river or the gods of the Amori in whose land you are living? As for me and my house, we will serve Adonai. We will serve the Lord. And the people replied in verse 16, far be it from us that we would abandon Adonai to serve other gods because it is Adonai our God who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from a life of slavery and did those great signs before our eyes and preserved us all along the way. We traveled, and among all the peoples, we passed through. And it was Adonai who drove out from ahead of us all the people, and the Amori living in the land. Therefore, we too will serve Adonai, for he is our God. Joshua said to the people, You can't serve Adonai because he is a holy God, a jealous God, and he will not forgive your crimes and sins. If you abandon Adonai and serve foreign gods, he will turn during you harm and destroying you after he has done you good. But the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve Adonai. And Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen Adonai to serve him. And they answered, we are witness. Now Joshua urged, put away the foreign gods you have among you and turn your hearts to Adonai, the God of Israel. This is fascinating. Let me pause here for a second. We have one more verse to read. But this is something that was taken from, I believe, all the way back to Abraham and all the way through Egypt. We see habitually, matter of fact, Rachel was, was stole her father's idols and she put them underneath a camel saddle and said that she was her time of the month and, and wouldn't stand up for her father who came looking for these idols. We see this all through until the Babylonian exile when Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar came and sacked and destroyed Jerusalem in the temple. Until that point in time, and even here's a warning, put away the foreign gods you have among you. So Joshua is saying, I know you've got idols. I know you've got gods among you. But he's saying, turn from these things. Turn your hearts to Adonai, the God of Israel. And so we see this in all the archaeological digs from the time of the destruction of Jerusalem and Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. Back in history, every time you find a Jewish site, an Israeli site, you find idols. When we have the post-exilic restoration, after the 70 years of diaspora or up, King Korosh, Babylon becomes Persia, Korosh issues a summon that we can return back to the land of Israel. From that time forward, what we don't find is idols. 
So after almost 2,000 years, we finally understood we can't serve God and serve idols at the same time. You see a habitual thread, a habitual warning through this. You can't serve other gods and serve me because God is a jealous God. And if we turn from him, his anger and wrath will be upon us. Now, let that pause and sink in for a second as you consider the current conditions of America today. An America that was founded upon the word of God. An America that the first authorized book to be published by Congress was the Bible to be used as primers to teach kids how to read in school. How far have we drifted, not in 2,000 years, but in 240 years? So we can't serve other gods and Adonai at the same time, or his wrath and anger will be upon us. Do you think possibly that's the result of all this anarchy and chaos around us? I think that's a significant source of it. We have to turn back to Adonai. Let's go back to Joshua 24, verse 24. The people answered Joshua, we will serve Adonai, our God, and we will pay attention to what he says. So what we've just read in Joshua chapter 23 and 24 is his farewell speech to Israel, where he's urging them, he's passionately committed to God. Joshua was a man after God's heart, and he's reminding Israel of God's trustworthiness of God's faithfulness. He warns them habitually against disobedience, against idolatry, and concludes in verse 15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Everyone followed Joshua's supernatural convictions during his lifetime. Joshua was charismatic. He was strong. He was a a servant leader that people wanted to follow Joshua. He was a loyal, trusting, patient leader. Let's look back in in verses 29 through 31 of Joshua 24. After this, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Adonai, he died. He was 110 years old. They buried him in his property at Timnasarach, which is in the hills of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Israel served Adonai throughout Joshua's lifetime and throughout the lifetime of the leaders who outlived Joshua and had known all the deeds that Adonai had done on behalf of Israel. And so what, what we see is for the generation when Joshua was alive, They served the Lord. The next generation, those leaders who lived in this time frame and knew the deeds that the Lord had done, they had experienced the supernatural power of God in settling the land. They did so as well. Verse 32, the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel had brought up from the land of Egypt, they buried in Shechem in the parcel of ground, which Yaakov had brought from the sons of Amor and the father of Shechem for a hundred pieces of silver, and they became a possession of the descendants of Joseph. Finally, Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him in the hill belonging to Pinchas' his son, which had been given them to the hills of Ephraim. So what we see now is this second generation, they're all gone. They're all gone. What we get to now is the period of Judges where it says every person does what they seem right, think right, according to their own eye. We go into a period of lawlessness, of chaos, of anarchy. Why? Because two generations, just two generations removed from this supernatural story of the Exodus and God's taking us through the wilderness, people forgot about God. Joshua provided a superb example of a leader whose trust and faith prompted God to bless him, to make him invincible over the three periods of his life. Remember, he had 40, and this is similar to Moses, except not quite as long. Moses lived to be 120. Joshua lived to be 110. Moses spent 40 years in Egypt. Joshua spent 40 years in Egypt. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness. Joshua spent 40 years in the wilderness. Then, as he entered the promised land, Joshua spent 30 years in Canaan, in the promised land, and God gradually moved 
this trustworthy, loyal servant into leadership. I'm going to say this habitually. Remember this. He was the number two guy to Moses for 40 years. He spent 40 years as a slave, 40 years as Moses' number two right-hand guy, 40 years. The scripture record the foundations of this supernatural trust and faithfulness. We all know them as the skill sets that we've shared over these last eight or 10 Kadima talks, but I want to see them played out and reveal them to you through this one servant of the Lord, and we want to see where he was strong and where he succeeded, and we want to talk about where he failed, where he fell short. He was a very obedient service. He did what he was told. In Exodus 17, verses 8 through 13, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us, go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hill with God's staff in my hand. Joshua did what Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek. This, this, is, this sounds so simple, but today, people don't want to obey. Immediately, when, when something comes forth from the kingdom of God, when there's a divine revelation, immediately there's a, there's a discussion. Well, should we do this? I'm not sure we should do this. Blah, 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 blah. And there's all this pushback. Listen, he has a trait that we see in Abraham, immediate compliance. When something was given to him, he did it immediately. There, there's no talk back here. There's no flack. Even in Moses, we see him pushing back. When Adonai first called him, he said, wait a minute, there's got to be somebody better. I stutter. I got all these issues. And, and God actually became angry at Moses. Joshua, like Abraham, immediate compliance. Joshua did in verse 10, as Moses had told him, and fought with Amalek. Then Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the hill. Verse 11, when Moses raised his hand, Israel prevailed, but when he let it down, Amalek prevailed. However, Moses' hands grew heavy, so they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, the one on one side, the other on the other side, so that his hands stayed steady until sunset. Thus Joshua defeated Amalek, putting their people to the sword. So he was obedient. He did exactly what he was told to do. We see this again in Numbers 32, verses 11 through 12. None of the people aged 20 or more who came out of Egypt will see the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they haven't followed me unreservedly. What does that mean? Well, let me put it to you in English. They weren't sold out to God. 